I'm Jack Hampton, and this is the Hampton Hoops Podcast. What up, what up, Coop? How are you doing, my friend? Surviving and thriving. Broke me, dude. <laughs> Let the fun begin. Let's get it. On today's pod, this is Coop and I's final podcast of the 2021-2022 NBA season. I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in every week, but we are not done because guess what? The NBA draft is next Thursday. We will have a podcast for you ready on Thursday morning to preview everything you need to know before the draft, trades, draft picks, prospects, everything you need to know that will be available next Thursday. But for now, we got a game six and possibly a game seven this weekend. Let's jump into it. What's up? What's up, Coop? How are you doing, my friend? As always, surviving and thriving. Man, I'm gonna take one out of your book on that one. I'm just, I'm just surviving right now. If you would have told me that Andrew Wiggins is the reason, is the reason our finals pick is on the brink of getting eliminated, I literally would have stopped watching this sport. It's just absolutely ridiculous to me. But here I am, you know, filing a missing persons report for Derek White, Al Horford, Grant Jeez. Williams. My God, the game, the game one was cute for them, but I mean, they have just been MIA. 100%. From like a scale to one to 10, as everyone knows, Cooper and I both picked Boston, unfortunately. The series is not over though. From a scale of one to 10, how mad were you after game five? Probably, it was probably around like a five or six because I was more mad at game four. Because mm-hmm. um, like, I guess I was so mad at game four that I didn't get as mad at game five. But like, it was one of those things where you hear people saying, Oh, they missed their chance. They missed the bad Steph Curry game. No, these dumbasses just haven't figured out how to guard Steph Curry until game five. It's not mm. that Steph, like, literally, they just finally guarded Steph Curry. <laughs> and like, <laughs> So I was more mad in game four, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, what were you, how mad were you? Were you mad at more in game four or game five? Bro, honestly, like, I didn't sleep a lot the night, the night before. So game, <laughs> game five, like, I was like, I wasn't dozing off, but I was just like completely zoned. Like I was trying to watch it, but I was like, my God, like this is what I expected to happen. Once I saw Golden State win four, I'm like, they're not losing five. They're not losing again at home in a pivotal game five, as everyone says. Yeah. Nah, did you expect the Andrew Wiggins showdown? I didn't expect any of it. I've been a Wiggins hater for a long time. When they made that trade, I, I really didn't blink at it because one their stars were hurt and I would I would have been shocked if he would they would have kept him around I thought they were just going to use him to get someone else but he's lived up to the hype a little bit in these finals uh, I still don't think he's a max contract player by any means but this was a finals performance for the ages um, players dream about these type games uh on the biggest stage to have 26 and 13, I believe it was. That was just huge. And his his defense has been amazing. Um, although I am a little biased, I did watch Ja drop 47 on his ass. So, like, <laughs> I think we can pump the brakes on, you know, saying how what a great defender he is. But he, him, his constant improvement since he got to the Warriors has been huge because he was not that guy at Minnesota. Yeah, facts. Just like Josh said, he can't guard me. Uh, <laughs> but nah, dude, I I agree with you. I think that that shows you a lot of what Steve Kerr 
like what he does. I mean, Steve Kerr basically when they got him, I thought the same thing you did. I was like, oh, okay, cool. The Warriors just traded away D'Lo, and I I think they might have had to give up some picks. I don't remember the full trade, but I was like, okay, they traded D'Lo for Wiggins. Okay, I was and I was like, they're gonna trade Wiggins away. I was like, so, but then. When you heard this, uh, like reports, what they were like, uh, they're telling Andrew Wiggins he's gonna be the he's gonna be the uh, primary defender for their team. I was like, interesting. I was like, I know he's athletic enough to do it, but I I wasn't really prepared for him to do it in the capacity that he's doing it. Because I mean, he's other than like one game, and I think it was this game. This is probably Jason Tatum's best scoring game, I think, if I can remember correctly. But other than this game, I, he has shut Jason Tatum down. Yeah, and that, that's the interesting part of game six. I know we're still on five, beginning of the podcast, but like that's my thing because I watched Jason Tatum against Giannis on the road in Milwaukee down 3-2 have, what was it? I believe it was 47, the, <laughs> the number we were just talking about. I think it was 47. Yeah, he was and dominant. question is, can he do it again? Do you think he has that in him not 47 but you know a breakout performance of 30 plus to keep that season alive do you think that jt can do that on wiggins 100 100 um, i mean don't get me wrong wiggins is playing out of his mind right now and i mean honestly wiggins has probably put himself into this like if you had to tell me to pick the top three guys for finals mvp right now wiggins would probably be at my number two um but i, I mean Jason Tatum is a walking bucket. It's just one of those things where, like, um, I think his rookie year, you see him, like, crank it down on LeBron, like Paul George style, and you're like, oh, my God, this dude finishing is insane. Just imagine what he could do with, like, a smooth stroke, and then all of a sudden it's like he can't finish at the rim now, but his stroke is so silky smooth that he just relies on it too much. And I'm like, we need the Jason Tatum that was uh, cranking it down on LeBron to – show up in these playoffs and or show up in these finals now we're not just in playoffs anymore we're in finals and we need him to the same thing you and i always tell john jaren to do be aggressive i need jason tatum to go out there with his head on fire and just go i agree because there's no tomorrow and you have to treat this as one game at a time you need to win in boston you need yep. to win there's there's no tomorrow and i i think boston's gonna play like it um, as time has went on, I, I'm feeling better about Boston because right after that game five, I was like, it's wraps. Golden State's going to go up to TD Garden and hammer them, and it's going to be a closed series. But I heard something very interesting today. If Boston's going to win this game in game six, it's got to be by a wide margin because as everyone knows, they're one of the worst clutch teams in the league. And that's not just in the playoffs. In the entire league, they're one of the worst so that's what concerns me about my pick going forward i'm still hanging on to boston and seven but my god like there's it's gonna be a close game no matter what and if it is i i'm picking the warriors every time because they're the experienced team here facts well that kind of leads me that sparked a question so you started me out with a scale of zero to ten what's your uh how scared are you of the celtics pulling this one out zero to ten um, pulling out the series, man, it's up there. It's got to be an eight or nine for me because, like, game six, I- I'm not that scared about. I think it could go either way, to be honest. I could I could really see Boston winning that. Like, game seven is a coin flip, too, but, like, 
two coin flip games that you have to win. That's what makes me nervous, yeah. and that's why my it's so high on my scale. How where are you when it comes to that? You're gonna you're probably gonna come like call the hospital on me for the statement I'm about to make because it's about to be outrageous. Uh, but I'm honestly not that scared. Um, for some <laughs> reason, after they. Because, I mean, I got scared when they got down 3-2 against Milwaukee, and I was like, oh, crap. Uh, I wouldn't get down 3-2 on Giannis, especially going back home. And then they dog him in the last two grand, two games. Granted, in that game seven against Milwaukee, you had a guy like Grant Williams shoot seven threes. They have not had that in this series. Grant Williams got in the missing report call. Um, and then when they lost game six at home against Miami, I was like, oh, yes. I'm going to get one right. I picked Miami. Miami's going to do it. And then they went in, and despite the heroics at the end by the Heat, I mean, it really wasn't a close game. Um, And they just kind of, like you said, couldn't finish in the clutch in a close game. Um, And they just got away with one there. Um, But they won on a home court uh, or on the away court in a game seven. So for some reason, I just feel like these guys play better with their backs on the wall, and I feel like, it might be foolish and naive of me to think that they can do it again because, I mean, doing it twice is hard enough, but doing it three times against a team that's got three championships already going for number four with basically the same unit, I mean, that's you're just setting yourself up for failure when you get back like this. But, I mean, they've proven that they can play with their backs on the wall, so I'm pretty optimistic. But like you said, two coin flip games don't really give much hope. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so funny you said that with the uh, Game 6 Milwaukee thing. That's what I was talking myself into today with, well, you know, JT did show up in that, and they did win. But then I'm like, hold on. That was a Milwaukee team without their all-star Chris Middleton. Yep. <laughs> and also, this is a Milwaukee team that hasn't been to six finals in eight years and is so locked in beyond words that doesn't have game six clay either a game six clay a steph curry that's coming off a 0 for 9 performance and a team that's coming off a 9 for 40 performance from three it's like man that's when it starts scaring me but then again uh boston like i still can see boston winning this that's how that's how good of a series and evenly matched of a series this is i think yeah, how many how many uh, times do you think Steph's gonna go out there just hoisting threes, trying to get his streak back started? I mean, two hundred <laughs> wasn't it two hundred twenty three games with a three pointer? Wasn't that the streak? Yeah. Jeez, yeah, man, something insane! That's it was absolutely outrageous, incredible. Man. And as we go into this game six, like I f- really feel like both fan bases have something to good like feel good about. Even Boston, like Golden State, like. Uh, it's a typical, it's what you just said, our best player played horrible, and we still won. And Boston's, the thi- their thing is, we finally found a way to guard them. We're yep. not playing drop coverage on these screens. Our bigs are up. And if if Andrew Wiggins is going to beat us, okay. Yep. We're going to shake your hand, and Andrew Wiggins beats us in the finals. But Steph Curry is not going to bust her ass anymore. No. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, after getting embarrassed on their home floor after he dropped 43 in game four, I, I wouldn't blame him. But so there's there's two sides of this. I, I could see the averages evening out for Steph and the Warriors and then Boston. They could say, you know, you know we found a way to guard them. Which which side are you on that? Honestly, 
I was just about to ask you, do you think they can repeat that defensive performance? And I'm going to be honest with you, I really do think they can. Because like you just said, in the first four games, <laughs> I remember you calling me after one game going, why the hell do they keep drop coveraging on <laughs> Steph Curry? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I couldn't tell you. I have no earthly idea what they're doing. I was like, And what's crazy is they finally caught on to how the Grizzlies defended Steph. I'm like, you always know I'm going to play my Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies did not let Steph beat them. We let Kavon Looney and Andrew Wiggins beat us. I mean, mm-hmm. we got beat because we were so focused on guarding Steph and Clay that we had five guys out on the wing, <laughs> so we couldn't get a rebound. And so, like, mm-hmm. I think they finally realized that your bigs are going to have to play up. Um, like, you cannot just drop coverage every time and expect Steph not to pull that. I mean, he's literally the greatest shooter of all time. He's going to pull that 10 times out of 10. So I think they finally caught on that you have to do that. And I hate that it took them five games because, like I said, you can't be gift wrapping anything to this team because they're going to get it on their own regardless. So you can't gift wrap them, things like that. And I just felt like that was a mental mistake. Um, And so I feel like maybe – Maybe they'll learn from that and they'll lock in again and they'll repeat that kind of defensive performance. Obviously, the Warriors are not going nine for 40 again. Like, that's just, you can't expect that. But I think if they can play with the tenacity and, like, the like threat of forcing them to go to the paint and, like, forcing Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, Draymond, all those people to beat you, I think that gives Boston the best chance. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think Jalen Brown has to play Oh my God. Much, much better. If you go back and look at each of the games, it's directly related with if they win or if they lose. Jalen Brown has turned the ball over way too much. We talked about this in the Miami series. I was watching him like, he's not a guard and he has the same amount of turnovers as a point guard. It's just ridiculous to me. But at the same time, you see flashes of an all NBA guy in this league. And with the role players, the Derek Whites, the Al Horford, and the Grant Williams of the world, role players always play better back at home, and they're going to need to in game six. It's going to be a necessity for them to play well. I don't know where the hell Grant Williams has been. His shooting (laughs) has just been absolutely atrocious. And Derek White, it's like (laughs) whenever I was – I posted a TikTok on Draymond after game one, it was like – yeah, they went 15 for 23. Like, like, what do you want us to do? Like, yeah. He's not even, like, concerned about it. And honestly, he's right. But I feel like Boston could say the same thing for Golden State. You know, like, Andrew Wiggins just dropped 26 on us, and Gary Payton had 15. Like, we're, we're just glad Steph didn't beat us, you know? Yeah. No, that – I was literally going to mention that Draymond clip because it makes so much more sense now. Like, all the people that were like, man, Draymond's talking massive smack. They didn't dominate them. That was the one issue I had with it. But I was like, he does have a point. 15 of 23 for three guys that normally aren't going to beat you like that. And then what was crazy is I think Vernon was the one who said the stat of, like, 8 of 10 of Al Horford's shots in game one were uncontested, and he made – I think seven of eight of them or something like that. And then in game two, all six of his shots that he shot were uncontested or were contested and he only made one. So it was like one of the things where they were like, we're going to let Al Horford and them beat us. And then they were like, oh crap, Al Horford and them beat us. Let's guard them now. And they just haven't let it happen again. But no, the role players have got to show up. I mean, some of these guys have just looked unplayable, which is a problem. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you have to you have to have those guys show up for uh, game six, or you're going to be going home. And to the Grant Williams thing, just because I have to plug in the fact that Ole Miss baseball somehow went to Omaha, he's probably at home with the Tennessee Volunteers. <laughs> you really had to do me like that, I did, you know, dude. It was awesome. I was laying floor this weekend and I was watching that game and I saw them get beat. I was like, man, that's poetic. <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy if uh, State of Mississippi has back to back natties. That'd be insane. No, it would be. I mean, I'm not, I don't know what my Rebels are going to do. They've been surprising me all the way. So we'll see. We'll see. But I'm, I haven't seen an Omaha since 2014. So um, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> all right, dude. I, I would be too. That's going to be insane. Um, pivoting from the finals, I had a video drop today on um, Donovan Mitchell to the Miami Heat. This is very interesting to me because just over the weekend, Um, A picture went viral on Twitter of Jimmy Butler and Donovan Mitchell at dinner taking pictures together. And this particular picture, they both, they looked like teammates. They they look good together. Let me me just put it that way. It was like a a couple (laughs) you want to be on Instagram. That's what it was like. And I fell in love with the idea. I went as far as to say Kyle, Tyler, and Bam, I would all give up for Donovan Mitchell. How do you feel about that? Is that too much? And what would you give up for Donovan Mitchell to South Beach? If I'm Miami, Bam cannot be a part of this trade. Because, um, like, at the end of the day, where Miami definitely needed a – like, no offense to Kyle Lowry because he did have some good moments, but Kyle Lowry is – aged out of his like prime um and so he's just not who he once was and you don't need that if you're trying to contend for championships especially with how jimmy butler's plays in the playoffs like you just you have to have people around him that are gonna uh, produce in the playoffs but and i know saying that about keep you have to keep bam is probably crazy seeing as he didn't really perform great in the playoffs every game but like losing bam's defensive presence and you don't really have another center on this team that gives you what Bam gives you. Bam cannot be a part of this. So I definitely think that's too much, but I can definitely to make the money match. And I don't know the money off the top of my head. I feel like Kyle Lowry would have to be involved. Um, and mm-hmm. Tyler Hero, obviously as well, because I mean, they're not going to just trade away Donovan Mitchell. who's like 25 years old for a 38 year old <laughs> point guard. Um, yeah. But I definitely think there's going to be a ton of picks involved I really don't know what Donovan Mitchell's value is. I know that sounds crazy, but, like, I really just don't know. Because, like, if you're trying to base it off trades that we've had recently, I don't feel he's James Harden caliber, but he's young, so he's going to command more. So I'm just kind of at a crossroads with it where I really don't know what's too much or what's too little. But I definitely think Tyler Hero and – a good little bit of draft capital is definitely going to be surrounding in this trade. But what are your thoughts on it? The Brooklyn James quality trade. Like I, I understand the Houston hall. Like I don't think he was that quality, like that quality in the moment, but Donovan Mitchell, in my opinion, is a hell of a lot better than Brooklyn James Harden. Yeah. And in which Philly gave up Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, you know, an all NBA player and two starters with picks I think it's going to take an absolute haul, much less James Harden is in his 
30s and this is a guy that is just now starting to touch his prime yeah and he's made all nba teams he's been on he's had the best record in the league like this is a guy that that is proven he's a proven winner he's one of the only players to average over 20 points every year he's ever been in the league i think his value is monumental and i honestly think i keep seeing you know the the kyle you're not the only one this is like all of my comments are like no we're not giving up bam like we'll do kyle tyler and a and a first rounder and in my head i'm like there's no way in hell if i'm the utah jazz i'm taking that yeah kyle lowry looks like a backup point guard to me tyler hero yes he's a six man of the year but he's a 20 points per game guy that plays little to no defense and really can't facilitate and really can't rebound that well and he's not a guy you can build around i think the donovan mitchell i think he's worth so so much in my opinion especially next to jimmy i would hate giving up bam but listen bam is a he's a second tier all-star to me like yes he's so crucial to that and having don bam and jimmy would be insane but I could make a case that if I was Utah, I mean, you may have to throw in a pick on top of those three. Like, I think it's his his value is way way up there, a lot more than people think, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's the thing. I'm just kind of, for me, I'm just kind of at a crossroads with it. Um, I'm really, and like, it's one of those things where like the Heat are pretty veteran team, other than like the Max Struces, the Gabe Vincents of the world. Um, the Omer Yurtsevin, which I could see like a package of some of those guys, but I definitely think it's going to take a lot to get Donovan Mitchell. And I just think, you know, to be honest with you, the Heat are really well-run organizations, so I know they're going to make the trade that's probably best for them. Um, but it's definitely you're definitely going to have to have uh, some form of Kyle Lowry or Bam in the trade because – uh, Donovan Mitchell makes $28 million a year and Tyler Hero makes four. So <laughs> something's going to have to give there. So um, I definitely think they're going to have to package Tyler with a BAM or with a uh, Kyle Lowry. But like you said, I mean, I don't know what pick they have in this draft because to be honest with you, I don't pay that much attention to the Miami Heat because they just always do something really well without you knowing about it. Um, and they do their damage in the undrafted pool apparently. Um, so, I mean, I really don't know, but I think a Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Butler pairing would be super fun to watch. And maybe that's the help that Jimmy needs so that Jimmy doesn't have to play 48 minutes and go for a kill shot every time because he's going to be so dead tired that he can't afford to play a overtime game. <laughs> I agree. I don't think Miami's given up all three of them by any means. I'm just saying what I would do because, listen, Jimmy only has a few years left. And why not already have um, a plan in motion for when his prime leaves him? You're going to have Donovan Mitchell be a great all-star, all-NBA caliber player for the next seven to eight years. I would I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm the GM, but that is just me. I'm not, I, don't, I by no means think Miami's going to do that. That's definitely just what I would do. Fair enough. You got any other questions? Uh, as far as trades go, um, we technically had our first trade of this uh, NBA draft thing. It's it's a small trade, so don't get don't get too excited out there. Um, but we had OKC, who's pretty frequent in all these trades. Um, but they mm-hmm. gave up the thirtieth overall pick 
Um, and like I think two seconds, I think they're future seconds. But for Jermichael Green, Grizzly legend Jermichael Green, um, and uh, God, he used to sweat. Oh my God, dude, he, that boy works his tail off. Um, and I think I don't remember what the other picks were for like a 2027 pick or something like that. But how many trades do you think we're gonna have prior to draft night? Or do you think they're all gonna occur on draft night? God, that's. That's a great question. I think overall, I think there's going to be a massive, massive amount of trades prior to draft night. I think we'll have, you know, some sprinkled in there, probably two, three, maybe four. I think on draft night is when it's going to get absolutely retarded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it always does. That's the, that's the whole fun of draft night. If you haven't enjoyed draft night, you're missing out because I'm telling you, it's so much fun. Um, but oh, yeah. in regards to the Grizz, so we obviously have three picks. We have number 22, 29, and 47. We're obviously not – we don't have the roster spots for three players, three rookies at least. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. would you prefer us to trade all package all three and trade up to get a ready-now guy to keep this championship aspirations going or maybe stay put at 22 or 29? Uh, probably 29 if I'm picking just because we've – dominated at the late round or late first round picks um trade away 22 and 47 for like a future draft or heck maybe even trade them away for a veteran what are your what are your thoughts on what the Grizz should do with their uh three picks in this upcoming draft to be honest i would not be opposed to trading all three of them to get as high as possible i think that is a great idea and i also think um trading two of them away to maybe even get into the teens or something. I like the idea of keeping 29 and I I, I like everything you just said, as a matter of fact, even trading two of them to get a vet, but I, I could see them trading up, you know, a little bit in my opinion, I would, I would want to see us inch into the teens, at least a little bit. I, I would like to get another young player because I don't feel like the market right now It'd be different if it was a different year. If it was a different year, I would be wanting a vet. I'd be wanting an established player in this league. But there's just – it's dry, in my opinion, if we're being honest. This yeah. The trade market and free agency, at least right now. Maybe it'll heat up next month, but right now I, I want young talent. No, I I agree with you 100%. You know how I feel about this draft. Uh, I, I, I definitely want to trade up. Uh, into not necessarily like high end of the lottery, but I definitely want to trade up and maybe get like a Oak Child Jobby out of Kansas or maybe stay put and maybe get his teammate and Christian Braun out of Kansas. I just want a big wing that's going to come in and fill up the stat sheet. <laughs> I really just want somebody who can 3 and D because I feel like the Grizzlies' biggest holes right now are size, shooting, other than Bane, um, and we need a big that can shoot like i mean other like unless they're planning to give xavier tillman who i love and who looked incredible last year in the summer league because i remember you and i like that boy was out there like trying to look like baby Jokic in the summer league and i was like dang he's in for big things this year and then he like never played and so <laughs> i just i really have no clue what the grizzlies offseason plans are because i mean there's obviously a ton of speculation from you and me and then like all the uh, experts out there, they're all, there's a lot of speculation, but I mean, the Grizzlies are kind of keeping a close, close to the chest um, type of uh, off season here. Cause like I was even trying to look to kind of get some 
who they've brought in for like some draft type uh, workouts and stuff like that. And they're not really dropping very many big names. They're ta- dropping a bunch of like maybe UDFAs and uh, maybe second round guys. So I definitely think the uh, secrecy of it all is kind of and like the crypticness of it is kind of making me think that the Grizzlies have something up their sleeve, which you and I both know. Uh, we've said it so many times on this thing. We trust our front office, which is something you and I definitely could not say, uh, what, four or five years ago before Zach Kleiman got here. Yeah, exactly. And this time last year, we made a shocking trade of Jonas Valanciunas and what was it, the 17th pick we had to get up to number mm-hmm. 10 because – and I, I remember turning on their local radio that day and the radio hosts were literally trying to calm down the fans about losing Jonas. That's how <laughs> massive and shocking it was. And looking back on it, it's literally one of the best trades in our history. I, I truly believe that. And I was against that trade last year. And that was the last time I'll ever be against anything our front office does. Facts, dude. I mean, I remember like having to calm down Leah because of how much she loves Jonas. And then... And I mean, to be honest with you, as most Grizzlies fans probably felt, when I saw Steven Adams, I was like, you kidding me? This bum that freaking got us kicked out of the playoffs because Zebo got ejected for socking him in the face. I was like, really? I was like, y'all had to just make him a Grizzly. <laughs> and so I was yeah. like, and then it worked out. Like you said, I mean, Zaire was incredible as a rookie. I mean, he had his ups and downs as most rookies do, but Steven Adams was a monumental piece on this team this year. Yeah, he was. He was huge, and he did everything. He did all the dirty work, and he he's now a Grizzly favorite. Like we will always, always, always remember everything he did this season. He he's a great screener. He's a great passer of the ball. We don't have to feed him post touches like we did Jonas. It he had a massive part in what John ja Morant did this season. I, I really truly believe. Yeah, that. no, it. I definitely think Sa was the type of center that we needed to allow. Not just the progression of Ja, but the progression of Jaron, the progression of uh, D- Desmond Bain. I mean, those guys, as much as people don't care to look at the stats and stuff like that of, like, centers, because obviously you're not going to see much there as far as Steven, because he's generally going to have, like, 2 to 10 points, probably 10 to 15 to 20 rebounds, and that's about it. But, like, I think he led the league in screen assists. Which, for those of you that don't know, it's uh, if he sets a screen and there's a basket scored on that, that's considered a screen assist. Um, and then he also just allowed, like, the screens he set, it allowed so many open shooters that Desmond got to shoot wide open threes, and he shot 46, 47% from three this year. Um, Jaron took a massive leap, and, I mean, he started out slow, but you saw them gel as the season went on. And so I definitely think Stephen was a huge part in – uh, allowing us to develop our young players, which is kind of why I'm really leaning towards us getting a few veterans because, no, Steven's not 35 years old, but he's 29, 28, something like that, and he's been in this league for a really long time, and he's been on a lot of playoff teams, so he knew what it took to win, and that's why I thought it was awesome to have a guy like that in the locker room who apparently was very vocal, who helped these young guns kind of mold into one team, um, even though – They've always had team chemistry at like a thousand, but like he just came in and fit right in and it was awesome to see. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, As we wrap this season up, what grade would you give 
the season as a whole, the NBA season from the playoffs, regular season, everything that happened in this 21-22 NBA season, what grade would you give it? Man, you coming out with the questions tonight, Jack. <laughs> that is not something I've ever even thought about, to be honest with you. Um, to be honest, this has probably been one of the like most fun seasons for me as a fan. Um because I this I went to five Grizzlies games, two of them with you, a uh, 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 two with Leah, and then one with my dad. So like this was probably the most Grizzlies games I've ever been to. Um, I definitely just felt like I was paying way more attention this year. So because of that, I'm probably gonna stick it with an A. Um, I won't give it plus or minus or anything like that. I'll just leave it at a solid A because it was super entertaining. I mean, Jack, you and I had the most entertaining team to watch for 82 games this season, and then and then some in the playoffs. Um, had our ups and downs um, as a team, but as the NBA as a whole, we had some entertain entertaining uh, trades, uh, some stupid ones that you and I have gotten to talk about a lot. Um, but the reason I'm probably gonna keep it at an A, teetering closer to the B range, so we'll stick it with an A minus at least, um, is mostly because we didn't get to see the likes of like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Damian Lillard. Um, we still haven't gotten to see a full season of Clay yet. Um, heck. There's so many teams out there that were just missing pieces. I mean, as much as we both think he's stupid, Ben Simmons didn't play all year, and he, but he's a super fun guy to watch. Um, I just think there's so much more potential for the next season. But what, what would your grade be? Mine's the exact same. I'm going to go with an A. And for all the reasons you just listed, just to play devil's advocate, that, you know, all those superstars not playing, Paul George missed a lot of the year as well up until the play-in. But yeah, man, people forget like this COVID thing. That was a thing for, you know, early in the season for the first six weeks. We saw um, Joe Johnson on the <laughs> Celtics and Isaiah Lance. Thomas got his time with the Hornets. Yeah. Lance had a, ended up getting signed for the rest of the year for the Pacers. Yeah. That was a rough stretch. But besides that, man, just everything you just said, our first season, you know, covering the NBA, I never would have expected that we have the traction we do now but just i will never ever forget this season for as long as i live for sure and our grizzlies being the number two seed josh scoring 51 against the spurs he him scoring 47 against the warriors in the playoffs the emergence of desmond bain triple j actually making it through a season for the first time in a long time it, it it was so so good to watch our grizzlies um thrive really and something we never ever expected our grizzlies to do and also just w even when it comes to these finals i feel like we couldn't ask for better finals even though they haven't been the closest of games you you want the season to end with an even matchup and i feel like we have that even these these two teams are not all-time greats for being honest like look they're 51 teams they're not you know 60 65 win teams but they're they're really 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 good teams that are evenly matched that have star power that have history too in boston and in golden state i i think that that is just the perfect cherry on top but yeah there there is there is you know bad to the season just like there is with anyone else the star thing is the biggest though for sure but I, i'm gonna give it an I'm gonna get yeah, it. no, I love that. And like you said, with the finals kind of bringing it full circle, I think they've been super even. And I think we got arguably probably one of the best matchups we could have gotten um, just because I think 
you know, it kind of weans out the teams that either A, get the injury bug, or just B, got had hit a streak there for a second and came back down to earth and whatnot. So I definitely I love what you said about that because, like, at the end of the day, you just want an even matchup, not the Warriors sweeping LeBron and getting a J.R. Smith meme out of it. But, like, I mean – Mm-hmm. We definitely had a great season to talk about, and I'm so glad that we got to start doing it. But since we're back on this uh, Warriors thing, and you, you gave me a few questions that popped in my head, um, can Andrew Wiggins, I know we hit on him earlier, but can Andrew Wiggins steal away the finals MVP if the Warriors are to win it? No. You don't think so? There, there's No, there's there's not a shot in hell, <laughs> in my opinion. It's literally like going into game five, Steph Curry was averaging 35 and he's getting guarded by the defensive player of the year, had 43 in game four. And in game six, I don't know if you watched his post game after game five, he was like pissed. Like he wasn't even like, he was just like, God, nine for 40, 0 for nine for me. Yeah, I'm going to be looking forward to the bounce back. So I think (laughs) he's going to go nuclear and it's not even for how much I believe in Steph is for how much I don't believe in Andrew <laughs> because yes, th- this kid had a cute game and everything. Like he's been huge in the finals, but the Boston there, it's like the Al Horford thing for the, the Warriors. Like, all right, Horford bust our ass. We're, we're going to, we're going to take care of this. I think, I think Boston does the same thing. Fair enough. Games. Do we get a Steph 50 piece? God, that would be an all timer that, that would be an all timer. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I, I think thirty. I think in the thirties is more realistic. But I wouldn't be shocked. If Fair enough. 50. If if the Warriors like close this thing out in six, and Steph has a great great game and ends up winning the Finals MVP, what do you think this does for his legacy? Honestly, I won't even like bad an eye if the Finals MVP thing is because I mean we hit on this like before or going into this series. I thought the finals MVP thing was kind of, I thought people were blowing it out of proportion. My thing is he's going to have four rings now that, that speaks more to a legacy than a finals MVP in my opinion. Cause at the end of the day, Same here. I get that people are always like, Oh man, Steph can't carry a team to the finals. Bull crap. The boy was MVP twice on a finals team, like of the regular season, not just the finals, like not just over a six game span over 82 games. So like, in my opinion, Steph, like that, the thing that's crazy is always, everybody always like thinks like even you and I, I mean, I I'll admit that I think like this, like my top three involve Michael Jordan, LeBron James and Kobe. Like that's my top three. Um, what's crazy is I really think Steph's going to start getting talked about in that top three, um, of all time. Just because, like, the thing he's done, and I was crazy as I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw, like, the podcast of where they were like, man, you changed the game for good. Like, you get, you see all these people shooting, whether they should be or not. And then Steph just says, stop tagging me in bad shots. He goes, I didn't tell you to shoot that shot. But, like, with all the jokes aside, like, at the end of the day, Steph has done what nobody else does. Like, he predominantly scores from the three and he doesn't just do it by like catch and shoot he makes you work for it (laughs) and like 223 games like i know that's that's insane that is almost three total seasons worth of basketball and he had a three-point field goal on every single one of them like that's just wild to me 
Um, so I think, like, at the end of the day, LeBron fans really don't want to see him win this finals because that means that uh, Steph has four just like LeBron, and he did it with the exact same team. He didn't have to go chasing the ring. He just got it, uh, and it was fluid, and it was – it makes me have so much hope for my Grizz because they're doing it the exact same way. Um, I just, I just think it's crap that people even are trying to even consider that Steph Curry's legacy is not already like sky high, um, with, even without that fourth ring and the Finals MVP. But I mean, in my in my book, as much as I'm not a huge Warriors fan or not a huge like Steph or Clay fan, his his legacy was already cemented in my book. Like he's already one of the greatest to ever do it. One of the greatest to ever lace up the shoes and will be, in my opinion. I agree. I would go as far as to put him up there with Braun if he wins his fourth title and he has a massive, massive game in six and seven. Because I don't think he's gonna be he's not a greater player than LeBron, obviously. But as far as this generation, I think he is just as important as LeBron James. He changed the game. They started small ball. You never saw this before Steph Curry. And I feel like his impact on the game, his impact on shooting, and his impact on smaller guys. Yes, you know, he... On TV, he looks like he's like 5'11 or 6 foot flat. This guy's 6'3". He's a big dude in public. But as far as like NBA size, that's small, man. And like the the showmanship, the kindness off the court, the everything he does uh, for that community, I just I think that he's got to be one of the all-time greats because I tune in every time Steph Curry is on television. That's why I hated the Grizzlies playing them because I hate rooting against this guy, to be honest. And I've been rooting against him in this series just because of my pick and I, like, I've had to choose a team, but I'm not like, I, I'm still smiling ear to ear when Steph Curry's sitting there dropping 43. That's just, as an NBA fan, I'm in absolute heaven because that's just, I, I love watching the guy play. And in my opinion, he's... He's he's one of the greatest of all time. One hundred percent. And like like you said, as much as I can't stand him, I mean, you know good and well I'm out there trying to score some threes, even though I can't do it. But um, <laughs> at least I got better handles than Jalen Brown. But anywho, um, no, I mean Steph's incredible. And I mean at the end of the day, he's what you turn on ESPN and TNT when NBA is on to watch. I mean he's he's the reason you turn it on to watch because he's a spectacle in himself and so i just think that's awesome to have um but no switching gears a little bit uh we we were hitting on our grizzlies and there's some there was some news that went down um taylor jenkins Mm -hmm. has signed a multi-year extension and nobody else in this world will care about this but me and you but i think this is the greatest business done this offseason and it was done by the memphis grizzlies what Mm -hmm. are your thoughts on this Mm He deserves every penny. Facts. He 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 is we have gotten better every single year and honestly, I think back to when we hired him, uh notification came across my phone and I said who the hell <laughs> That's is Taylor this Jenkins? <laughs> yeah, I was like this is the like most generic 2K ass <laughs> name I've ever heard. But it it couldn't have been a better hire, man, because you look back at year 1, I still have the um programs that I mean, they used to give out programs for COVID. Yeah. You know, the starting lineups: John ja Morant, Dylan Brooks, 
um, Jonas Valanciunas, Jay Crowder, and Jaron Jackson. And I just smile because I remember that's when I fell in love with this team. And watching Ja, obviously I've always loved the Grizzlies, but that team is the new era for me. I We had never seen high flying, <laughs> you know, up and down the court and the type of offense at this um, magnitude in Memphis. Even though they were a 500 team, we were able to battle into the play-in with a young, young team. And in the second year, we knocked Golden State out and get into the playoffs. And now this year, we make it to the second round. We've gotten better every year. And I feel like he's on the same trajectory as our players, which is constantly, constantly getting better. And as a coach, I mean, this is only his fourth year as a head coach next year. So he's still growing, man. I feel like there's potential in him just like there is in – you know, John ja Moran or Zaire Williams or Desmond Bain or any of our players. So I think that was a great, great sign. And it's just encouraging that, you know, a team like LA or uh, New York can't come and just poach a coach off um, a small market team. Facts. No, <laughs> I think you and I were together working Briar Camp when we found out, dude, like Taylor Jenkins was hired because we were both like, what the crap? I was like, who the crap mm. is Taylor Jenkins? And then, uh, uh, yeah, I couldn't be happier to see like this team because it's it's awesome to see like a GM, a coach, and players grow together. Uh, and I know most people don't care about their GM or probably even know who the GM of their team is, but like I love hearing Zach Kleiman's name because you know that he's doing something good. Um, and like Zach Kleiman came around the same similar time to, with like the Taylor Jenkins, John Morant, and all these people. And so like it's just awesome to see an entire organization growing together and the trajectory still be so high i mean like you and i get like blessed with years and years of just quality basketball now because of like how good the organization is running right now and it's just so awesome to see and mm -hmm. so encouraging to see like you said so yeah shout out Taylor jenkins you deserve every single penny and we're gonna hope to keep you for years and years and years after that contract's over anyway so um Keep your bags packed, or keep your bags unpacked here in Memphis. The not, yeah, not on ones your home. Yeah, for sure. And one more thing, I remember how long we took on that coaching search too, and just to end up on that name, I was like so confused. But God, yeah, another <laughs> Zach Kleiman special, just like the best executive in the league by far. Yup, exec of the year, yes sir. You got that right. You got anything else? Nah, fam. I'm good. Everybody tune in next week because the draft's going to be going on. Awesome time. Hey, you read my mind. We are going to record our podcast the night before the draft. So guess what? That means you will wake up the day of the draft with that pod in hand. So be sure to tune in for that. We're going to have so much fun. Hopefully there's some trades that go down and we can talk about some potential moves for each and every one of these teams. Um, Cooper, what a great, great season we've had. Uh, I can't wait to speak to you next week. We'll have an NBA champion when we speak, and I hope you have a great night, my friend. Yes, sir. You too. Go Seas. Mm -hmm.